It is really good to worship together, and it's good to hear an elder prayer and unite our hearts together in prayer, even though we're not together. I can't wait till we are together. That will be great. But in the meantime, I'm thankful to do this, and I'd like to ask you to open your Bibles. We're going to be reading from Psalm 137. There is a Bible app event for this, and I think you know what to do with that by now. Pain. That's what we're talking about here in the weeks ahead. Pain. Pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. Wow, that sounds profound, doesn't it? It really does sound profound. It's something that I understand. In fact, I've said it. I've said it to myself. I've said it to others. Pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. Yeah, I've said that. But to be honest, unless you really understand what's being said there, that can come across as a little bit trite and maybe a little bit uncaring and not profound at all. You don't want to be careful who you said that around or said that to. I mean, you wouldn't want to say it to the people of Murray County, Georgia, who this past week, a tornado went through their area and killed seven people. Well, pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. Don't do that. Don't do that. That will cause more harm than good. Pain is not a subject that the Bible avoids at all. You find pain spoken of throughout the word of God. For example, you hear the pain of of Abraham and Sarah as they are unable to have children. And Abraham has been promised that he will be the father of nations. And he can't even have one son or a daughter. Pain. King David, he surely understood pain in many respects. Losing a child, making bad mistakes, having a king who hated him, losing his very best friend, Jonathan. All of the pain that must have piled up in his life. And of course, our Lord Jesus Christ understood pain. He understood the pain of having people not understand the simplicity of his gospel message. And then the pain of being denied by one closest to him, being betrayed, even with a kiss, by one of his followers. He understood pain. And even after his death and resurrection, the Apostle Paul, one of the leaders in the early church, he understood pain as well. He understood what what one might refer to as the pain of unanswered prayer. We'll talk about that later, but... For now, we'll just say, Paul understood pain. The people of God have always understood pain, just like the people who don't know God understand pain. There was a season in the Old Testament, years actually, 70 of them, when all of the people of God, those who who would be named Israel, his chosen people, experienced the pain of being uprooted from their homes, losing their homes, losing their families, being separated, being trafficked away into Babylon, which is present-day Iraq, and the pain that must have come with that, leaving behind Zion, leaving behind their homeland, their culture, their neighbors, their friends, and they didn't even leave them behind. They simply bundled up with them and then dispatched to whatever part of Babylon they might be used for utilitarian reasons. Pain. That particular pain of being dispatched uh, into Babylon, uh, being taken there and trafficked there, that is something that Psalm 137 speaks of. The author of Psalm 137, he talks about this pain being inevitable and, and what it feels like. The question we want to talk about is, where will it take you? Let's read the passage. We're just going to read five sentences, maybe six verses. Follow along as I read if you would. It says, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. So there they are. They are away from Zion, away from the promised land, in captivity in Babylon. They're at the rivers and they're they're crying there because they miss their homeland. 
There on the poplars we hung our harps, for there our captors ask us to sing. (laughs) They ask us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. So their captors are harassing them, saying, hey, why don't you guys sing for us? That'd be good. Sing sing one of the songs from back home. We kind of like them. Let's hear you sing them. That's called being kicked when you're down. That's what's happening to them. The text goes on, how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Those are words of someone who's grieving, of someone who knows pain. And pain is inevitable. Where will it lead you? Where will you allow it to lead you? I want to speak to you a little bit about the reality of pain this morning. I want to say to you that there is no opt-out for pain. It's not like a user agreement. You can say, I'm going to uncheck this box so I don't have to do the pain part of life. None of us, none of us are exempt from pain. And you may think, well, Pastor Steve, I don't know why you're bothering to tell me that. Here's why. In over three decades of ministry, I have seen people who have struggled through pain late in life sometimes. Sometimes everything was going well, and then it kind of hit them. And over and over again, I hear them saying this sentence. I never thought it would come to this. How did this happen? I never thought I would have this kind of pain. Maybe God kind of wires that into us because if we were thinking every day about pain that might await us in the future, it would be really hard to function, wouldn't it? But maybe it would be okay to understand that pain is inevitable, but we have the opportunity to choose where pain will lead us. Where are you going to allow pain to lead you? One option that you have was verbalized by an existential writer named Albert Camus, Camus was uh, a person who, being existential, he didn't feel that life had any real meaning. One of the things that he's famous for having said is, should I kill myself or have a cup of coffee? I would opt for the coffee. I like coffee a lot. But here's what his point is. If my life really has no meaning, which Camus would have said the only meaning life could possibly have is what you decide to give it, then really, what difference does the choice make? What difference do any of our choices make? And what value could pain possibly have in a life that is void of meaning? I don't like that worldview. I don't like that perspective. A differing option, a differing opinion that you might have is allowing pain to move you toward God. And that's what the Apostle Paul did. Paul leads us to believe that God allowed his pain to remain because God God allowed that to remain because it gave Paul the opportunity to draw close to God. It gave him an opportunity that he wouldn't have otherwise had were it not for that pain. Paul had repeatedly said to God, would you please take away this pain? And God says to him, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul, your pain has meaning. It brings value. It lets you move closer to me and understand my grace. Your weakness allows this to happen for your benefit and for my glory. Pain. No one's exempt, and we choose where it leads us. Now, there's a woman who lived in the last century named Elizabeth. 
Elizabeth may be one of the most well-respected Christian women who lived in the United States of America in the last century. Elizabeth had a husband named Jim. The two of them went as missionaries to Ecuador. When she was 29 years old, Jim went with some other missionaries to deliver some gifts to some tribal people who had never seen them before. And the tribal people reacting unpredictably took their lives. This left 29-year-old Elizabeth Elliot, a widow, with a little child, a little girl. Jim was gone. Later in life, Elizabeth became a Christian author and a public speaker, had a Christian radio show. She was very well-respected, as I said, perhaps the most well-respected American woman of the last century who was a Christian would be Elizabeth Elliot. Listen to what she says about pain. She says, I'm not a theologian or a scholar, but I am very aware of the fact that pain is necessary to all of us. In my own life, I can honestly say that out of the deepest pain has come the strongest conviction of the presence of God and the love of God. Pain is inevitable. The question is, what will we do with it? Where will we let our pain take us? Lord willing, we're going to look at that question over the next several weeks. We're actually going to talk about, consider some questions that suffering poses. And this information that I'm sharing with you, um, it's actually springboarding from about three pages in a book by Samuel Chand called Leadership Pain, The Classroom for Growth. Along about page 158, Chand suggests that pain is sort of like a substitute teacher. Remember substitute teachers when you were in junior high? Maybe your teacher was taking a week off to travel or, or your teacher was sick and you had a substitute taking over for you. Do you remember what that was like? I remember what that was like. I thought, we're going to see how badly we can get this person off track so we don't have to do any work. That was what I was all about when I was that age. Every now and then, though, the substitute teacher turned out to be something of a gem. They were not only adept in understanding the material, they were skilled as a teacher. And you learned a great deal under that substitute. It was as though you were taking a science class and the everyday teacher went on vacation and you were stuck with Albert Einstein for a week and you happened to be covering the chapter on physics. That would be okay. Every now and then that happened with a substitute teacher. Chand suggests that pain is a bit of a substitute teacher. That you're rolling through life and everything's going as it has always gone and suddenly pain shows up because the regular part of your life is set aside. Pain is here though not just to ruin your life. Not just to mess up the curriculum. Pain can actually bring with it some teaching that can change your life, that can help you, that can be good for you. Pain teaches a little bit, like the old rabbis in Judaism, by asking questions. And I want to show you five questions that pain poses to us. And then we'll talk about those in the weeks to come. The first question is this. What am I made of? Really? What am I made of really? I think I'm made of this, but what? You know what Tesla is, right? They have the electric cars. I think those are really cool. I love the electric truck. It's ugly as can be, but hey, it's kind of new. I love technology. I love, I love innovation. And so I'm all about the, the electric vehicles. That's a pretty cool thing. But you saw it, right? They were showing off the electric truck. It's bulletproof 
out exterior, you know, and an unbreakable glass. And they had a guy there who had these balls. They were the size of, uh, of like a softball, maybe a baseball, and they were made of steel. And he was going to throw them at the windows so they bounce off and they could say, whoa, look at those windows. And you know what happened? Two balls, two broken windows. That's what happened. Because those windows, evidently, they weren't made of what they thought they were made of. That's kind of what pain does. Pain crashes into your life and it lets you know what you're made of. You may think that you're really spiritually strong, that you're really spiritually somebody. You may be a little bit like the Apostle Peter. You know that Peter was the most vocal follower of Jesus. He always was the one with his foot directly in his mouth. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he makes a statement. He, he says, I will strike the, the shepherd and the flock will be scattered. And he's saying, all of you, all of you, my closest friends and followers, you're all going to deny me. And Peter's the vocal when he says, even if all fall away, I will not. Jesus answers, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die for you, I will never disown you. And the other said the same. You see, Peter's not unique. He's the same. They all felt like they would never let that happen. Peter's the only one that had the guts to show up. But when he showed up, he found out what he was made of. And it wasn't what he thought he was made of. He denied Christ once, twice, thrice. Pain makes you ask yourself, what am I made of, really? The pain that Peter was dealing with was the pain of seeing his friend being arrested and the pain that came with fear that he might be the next one to be arrested. And that pain revealed, what am I made of, really? Here's the second question that pain evokes. How wise am I really? Do I really know the things that I think I know? Do I really have myself, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really as smart as I think I am. There was a politician recently that kind of got into trouble. And if you know me, I don't talk about politics, especially not in church. I don't even allow people to talk about politics in small groups that I'm leading because it just takes the conversation in directions that, that really can be kind of futile sometimes. So I'm not being political here. What I'm doing, though, is giving you an illustration of someone who thought he was wise. And a little bit of pressure, a little bit of pain showed otherwise. There was a politician who made this comment about farmers. He said this. He was, he was talking about how easy it was. He said, I can teach anybody to be a farmer. It's a process. You dig a hole, you put a seed in, you put dirt on top of it, you add water, up comes corn. <laughs> now, there's a context there that might make that statement a little less foolish than it, than it really seems here, but the damage is done. And, and what happened there was he showed that he wasn't quite as wise as he'd like us to believe or that he himself believed. I grew up on a farm. I can tell you it's a little more complex than uh, he lets on there. Uh, yeah, pain. The pain, the pressure of a political campaign can even reveal that you're not as wise as you thought you were. But it's really easy to think you have all the answers. It's really easy to think you have it all together when there's no pain. We can be like the rich fool that Jesus speaks of in Luke 12. He's the guy that had so much stuff, he had to build new barns for it. And he put the stuff into bigger and bigger barns. He was financially stable. He was going to eat, drink, and be merry. And in Luke 12, 20, God says, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded of you. Then who will get what you prepared for yourself? You see, pain can pull back the curtain on how wise you really are. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. You need to know how wise or how foolish you may be. 
Here's a third question that pain causes us to grapple with, and it is this. What's important, really? I mean, what's important, really? In Psalm 27, David is evidently dealing with some pain. His enemies are upon him. He writes, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked come against me and devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I'll be confident. Okay, so he's talking about some pretty serious things there. He's expressing his faith in God. But we're talking about things like being devoured by the wicked, an army attacking him. And then in verse 4, he says what I consider to be such an unexpected statement. Listen to what he says. He's talking about, in the midst of this pain, what's important really. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. (laughs) What's really important? Really important. David would say, knowing God, worshiping him, following him, seeking him. We get really confused about what's important in our world. (laughs) You know, we have these things, we refer to them as first world problems, you know. Things like, I updated my software and it's requiring that I restart my PC. Oh, first world problem. Man, I poured all these Cheerios here and we don't even have any milk left. What am I going to do now? First world problem. My laptop battery's dead. My charger's all the way upstairs. First world problem. Genuine suffering, when it comes into your life, those things are seen for what they are. And you begin to understand what's important, really. Here's a fourth question. What role does God play in my life, really? I mean, is he a handyman? Is he a marriage fixer? Is he a kid helper? Is he, what what, what role does he play? You know, (laughs) there are a lot of people in your life who probably find you pretty handy. (laughs) I'm pretty handy, pretty good with computers. Um, I always laugh. The computer on on my desk does not have a cage around it, you know, a, a case around it, I should say. It's wide open. Keep your fingers out of there. You'll get them stuck in the processor fan, you know. My wife says, why is that open? I said, because i got to work on it, because I'm pretty handy with computers. So I have people in my life, they call me when their computer needs troubleshooting. I welcome those calls. That's good with me. You know, the role that I'm playing at that moment in their life is this, computer guy. Hmm, I'm handy to have around. Um, I have a connection with a local group of churches that helps people with heating fuel. So in the wintertime, when people are out of fuel and their lie heap is exhausted, sometimes we're able to help them and those people will call me. I welcome those calls. That's good. And I know that at that moment, to those people, the role I play is fuel guy. I'm pretty handy to have around. I have a license to perform weddings and I have people in my life who call me. Hey, my kid's getting married. Can you help us out? Can you do a wedding for us? And the role I play is wedding guy. I'm pretty handy to have around. And I don't mind those things at all. I don't mind people calling me for things like that unless, unless that becomes the only reason they call. Because honestly, I'm more than a computer guy. I'm more than a fuel guy. I'm more than a wedding guy. I want to play a bigger role than that in the lives of the people that I love. Hmm, what about God? You know, I have to believe he doesn't mind being called upon when you're in trouble. In fact, he tells you, call upon me. He wants you to do that. He welcomes those calls. 
But when you experience significant pain in your life and it doesn't go away, that's when you discover whether God is just someone who's handy to have around or whether he is the most high God who made heaven and earth, who is worthy of your worship, who redeemed your life from the pit through the death of his son. That's when you know. That's when you know what role God plays in your life, really. One more question. How compassionate am I, really? How compassionate am I, really? First John chapter 3, verse 17, it says, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need and has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? How compassionate are you, really? Deep compassion is not something that is taught. It's something that is really caught. That's why the scripture says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Samuel Chan says it right when he says, Compassion doesn't come from a vacuum. It is a character quality that has to be instilled in us through our experience of God's kindness when we're hurting. You get that, right? When you have experienced God's kindness in your life, it brings compassion to your heart. When you come upon times of pain and suffering, you get to know, you get to see inside yourself. And you get to answer that question, how compassionate am I, really? Those are the questions we're going to talk about. What am I made of, really? How wise am I, really? Hmm. What's important, really? What role does God play in my life, really? How compassionate am I, really? Now, you may be thinking to yourself, I'm not really sure how important these questions are. Why should we bother to talk about this? Why investigate these questions? I am so glad you asked because that's what I wanted to say next. I want to take about three to five more minutes and just say this to you. These questions are very important because, number one, they help us know who we are. And it is essential that you know who you are because self-awareness is the key. It is the beginning point to effective change in your life. If you don't know where you are, you won't know where you need to go. And that's really the second thing. These questions help us see who we can become. And I want to suggest this to you. I want to say to you that there is someone that God has in mind for you to become. And as you are becoming the person God has in mind for you to become, it will be glorious. There is nothing else like seeing that you are becoming who God has in mind for you to become. That's good stuff. And that's why you're asking these five questions. That's why you're investigating these things. Because pain is indeed inevitable. You are not going to dodge it. You're not going to miss it. Pain is just part of our human existence. There's no option box where you can say, I don't want this. There's no exemption from it that you can file for. It's not a question of, will I suffer? It is a question of, where will I allow suffering to lead me? I want to pray that today and over the next several weeks as we meet together, we will be able to understand the value to the things we may suffer and how they will change us by helping us ask good questions and how God will use them to conform us to the likeness of his son, Jesus. Let me pray to that end. 
God, you're so good to us and you care so deeply for us that you have called us, you have made us to be your image bearers. I pray that we would take seriously that joyful responsibility. And as pain comes into our lives, we would be able to see it and not treat it like, well, pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. Don't let us be foolish about that, but let us be honest about it and deal with it and choose to see what it might reveal about us so that we can see who we are and who you would like us to become. Make this happen, Lord Jesus, for we pray it in your most holy name. Amen. Amen. Let's continue worshiping God.